0: Welcome to the Bay Area Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to make passionate, maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. We hope you will be changed by this message and invite you to visit us in the greater Annapolis area. If you would like to learn more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at bayareacc.org. Well, everybody loves a story like that. When we see acts of generosity, our hearts are stirred. And there's a reason for that. The reason is you and I are created in the image of God. When we witness generosity, we are actually experiencing an aspect of the very nature of God because our God is a generous God. Good morning, my name is Greg St. Cyr. I have the joy of serving as the lead pastor. I'm so thrilled to be with you all this morning. And for those who are watching online, who might be in Easton or the Odenton area, greater Annapolis area or around the world, we're so thrilled that you're with us. As I was praying about our series, Wisdom from Proverbs, the Lord gave me two things that I felt like we really needed to hear. Last week, I talked about joy. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says, a joyful heart is like good medicine. And if ever there was a time for joy, it's now, right? Right? And as I was praying about what else the Lord would have uh, us talk about as a congregation, what he really impressed upon me was the topic of generosity. Our God is a generous God. And our God is calling his people to step out in generosity. When the world, the watching world, sees people who are generous, they are deeply moved. Now, as I talk about generosity this morning, I know that some people might be a bit skeptical, right? And that could be because there might be skepticism regarding the church and how the church handles money. Some might be aspirational. They really aspire to live a generous life others have already embraced a lifestyle of generosity. So I wanna begin by asking you, whether you're in high school or whether you're retired, are you skeptical, are you embracing, or are you aspiring towards generosity? Where exactly are you on that continuum? My hope is this, that every one of us will take the next step towards generosity, mindful of the fact that God is absolutely a generous God. Now, I wanna clarify something at the front end. As I speak about generosity, I am not primarily speaking about your giving to the church. Obviously, giving and supporting the local church is a part of generosity, but I'm talking about something much bigger than that. I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity in every area of our life. Now, when we speak of generosity, typically we talk about time and talents and treasures. For the sake of time, I wanna address our treasures. And the reason is when we get this area right with God, God opens up new avenues in our life to do tremendous, tremendous things. Now, I think we would all agree that we live in the midst of uncertain times, do we not? I mean, there is COVID, there is economic uncertainty, there's political unrest, there's the question of um, the upcoming elections and the outcomes of what that might mean. There's all kinds of uncertainty. And the greater the uncertainty, the more difficult it is to be generous. Do you agree with me? As a matter of fact, um, 35% of all Americans have lost income because of COVID. Back in February, unemployment was at 3.5%. Today, unemployment is at 10.2%. The national debt that we're currently carrying hovers around $25 trillion. Okay, so... This is a very uncertain time. And yet, can you imagine the power of God's people stepping out in faith and modeling radical generosity? I have a declaration to make, and it is this. Those who step out now in generosity will experience the blessing of God in their life and they will greatly advance the kingdom of God. This is what I believe with all of my heart. And if you don't remember anything else that I'm going to share this morning, I'd like you to remember this simple biblical principle. Generosity always brings God's blessing. Let me repeat that. Generosity always brings God's blessings, wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25 reads this way. One person freely gives, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Refreshed. Now, do you see how counterintuitive, how other, I mean, this goes against the wisdom of the world. This verse says the person who gives freely is actually going to gain. And the person who withholds unduly will find themselves impoverished. The generous person is going to prosper. Proverbs chapter 22, verse nine says this, he who is generous will be blessed for he gives some of his food to the poor. And this, loved ones, honestly, this is, this is what, this is the reason I'm sharing this with you. I want your blessing. Let, let me state it more emphatically. God wants your blessing. God is a God of blessing. This word, this Hebrew word blessing, carries with it the idea of flourishing, Prosperity. He wants our welfare. He wants us to experience His shalom, His peace. This word is really the ideal life. God wants us to experience His blessings. A generous person is going to be blessed. A generous person is going to prosper. That does not necessarily mean financial prosperity, though it often does. God's form of blessing and prosperity is much bigger. It's much more holistic. Now I want you to do something for me for just a moment for you online and those who are here. I want you to hold out your hands, your palms, and just look at your open hands for just a moment. Just look. And when our hands are open, then that's a sign of surrender, right? That's a sign of we're releasing. That's a sign of being at peace. Okay, you can, you can stop that now. <laughs> but uh, what God wants from us is open hands. Our tendency from birth is to cling It's to have clenched fists. So a baby, for example, when a baby is born, it's interesting that their natural reaction is to have closed fists, clenched fists. Oh, later on, they'll learn to grab a rattler or a toy, or if you put your finger next to a child, they'll cling on to that, right? But we're born with clenched fists. Later on, when you're in middle school, perhaps you'll cling on to the handlebars of your bicycle, right? Or maybe you'll clutch your backpack or your purse. When you're in high school, you might actually hold the hands of a girlfriend or a boyfriend. When you start your first job, you're clinging to the bottom rung of the ladder, because that's where you're going to start, Right? And then gradually, you're going to start climbing that ladder and you're going to cling to the next rung and the next rung and the next rung. And then one day you'll retire. And when you retire, what are the things that you'll probably cling to? Maybe all your travel plans. Perhaps it's your pension, your 401k, whatever it might be. And then one day you might find yourself in a hospital bed at the end of your life, clinging to the rails of that bed. And then you'll breathe your last and you will no longer cling to anything. Could it be that God wants us right now to experience a release, to experience freedom, to experience his blessing in our life as we step into generosity. So I've been thinking a lot about, I've been, Mary Kay and I have been on a journey of generosity for well over 20 years. I've thought a lot about this. This week, as I was praying and contemplating, I put my engineering hat on, okay? So, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer by training. And I started thinking about what are the variables in the equation of generosity? I mean, what are the inputs that the result of these inputs or variables would result in the output of a generous life? And so I wrote this equation thinking about it. Generosity is the function of what? Of X, Y, and Z. So what is the X, Y, and Z? What are the inputs, the variables of a generous life? Online, if you have any ideas, go ahead and type them in. What are the characteristics, the qualities of a generous life? And as I thought about that, and I thought about the nature of God, I came up with three. I want to share with you what they are. The variables are love, grace, and goodness. That someone whose life is marked with generosity is a person who embodies love and grace and goodness. Here's how I would define these three inputs if I'm staying with the engineering metaphor. Love seeks the highest good of the other person. Grace is that which is undeserved and unearned. It's the favor that comes upon us that we do not deserve and can never possibly pay back. And goodness is really a a heartfelt disposition. It's a disposition of kindness and benevolence towards others. Now, God, of course, is perfectly loving. God is perfectly gracious and God is perfectly good. And to the extent that you and I embody love and grace and goodness, to that extent, we will actually live a generous life. So I tried to define generosity, you know, I I searched High and low, and couldn't find any satisfactory definition. And so I made one up, and here it is based on what I've shared with you thus far. Generosity is the love, grace, and goodness of God. That's the foundation. Generosity is the love, grace, and goodness of God towards others through my open hands. Let me emphasize open hands. God longs to shower his love and grace and goodness through us. He longs to shower his generosity through us towards others. But it requires something. We cannot have clenched fists. We have to have open hands. It does not matter whether you're rich or poor. The amount of one's income or the amount of possessions that we might have, have no bearing on generosity from God's economy. Let me illustrate. The poorest church in the Bible is the Macedonian church found in Second Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read, describe them to you from the words of Paul. The churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. This is remarkable. Here's a church dirt poor. As a matter of fact, it says that they are experiencing severe afflictions, that they are in extreme poverty. In the midst of that, they are experiencing an abundance of joy and they overflow in the wealth of their generosity, giving beyond their means. You can be You can be living on welfare and still be generous. The most poor people that come to my mind, by and large, are university students, right? Would you not agree that most university students are dirt poor? I'm thinking about one particular university student who attends our church, works at Chick-fil-A, pays for his own tuition at the community college. Yet this person stepped out in faith two years ago and made a faith commitment to unrivaled. He fulfilled his commitment in June. And when I I found out about that, my heart just soared. You can be poor and generous. Likewise, you can be extravagantly wealthy and be generous. For example, King David. King David was lavishly rich. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, it shows us the breadth of his generosity in the in the building of the temple. 1 Chronicles 29 This is David speaking. And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the building and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Well, how much is 112 tons of gold? How much is 262 tons of silver? I had to do some math on that. And just to put this in perspective, Bill Gates is currently worth $112 billion. King David gave over $5.5 trillion towards the building of the temple. He was extravagantly wealthy, He was extravagantly generous. I think of a a friend who attends this church. Let me tell you his story just briefly. Eight years ago, he bought a company for $1. For $1, he became the CEO of this company and got 51% of the shares. Within two years, he had purchased outright those 51% and bought the owners 49% out. Within six years, that company today has a net worth of somewhere between 60 and 70 million dollars. So he's affluent, yet, he uses his affluence. He is all about the king and his kingdom, establishing the reign of Jesus in his business. When he found out about the need in India for a church in the Kerala region, the southern region, here's a picture of Pastor Rajan. Pastor Rajan is standing in front of this church. This church is up in the mountains and is reaching out to unreached tribal people groups. This particular individual felt like he needed to rebuild that church. And today, right now, this is real time, that church is being rebuilt. Go ahead and show that picture if you would, currently, so that it can house more people for the gospel. He then found out about our ministry in South Sudan with Pastor Stephen and the Mission Gardens of Christ, how Stephen needed a four-wheel drive vehicle during the rainy season. And as this picture showed, he went out and purchased this vehicle for the ministry there. Now why am i sharing this with you? Because frankly, it does not matter whether you are have little or much. Here's the great lie. The great lie is this. When i make more, then i'll become generous. When i earn more money, then i'll start giving more. No, that is that it is never a matter of how much you have. It is always a matter of what we do with what we have. What if God actually called you during this uncertain season to give beyond your comfort zone? What if God said, I want you to sell that old pair of golf clubs that you have or ladies, some piece of jewelry that you never wear I want you to sell that and give the money to someone who's lost their job during COVID. What if your company is internet-based and so actually your, in, your income has increased during this time? And God might be saying, look, I, I want you to give more to the church or I actually want you to pay for the mortgage of your family member who's out of work. How would you feel if God was stretching you like that? Well, the answer is most of us would feel fear. We would feel afraid because the worldly wisdom is that that once I give it, it's gone. And if it's gone, am I going to be secure? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, our verse for this morning. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but, become, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is the way it works. The world says, look out for number one. God says, look out for the interest of others. The world says, you better not give it because you might need it. God says, when you give it, I'll take care of you. The world says, no one knows the future. God says, I do. I know the future. So how is it that we dismantle the paralyzation of fear? In order to be set free from fear, there's, Two fundamental principles I think that we have to grasp. The first one is this. It's the foundation of biblical stewardship. And if you're a young person, if you would just get this now, this would save you decades of heartache. And here it is. God owns it. I steward it. It's that simple. God owns everything. The things that we have, we really don't have. They're on loan from God, God is the owner. My sole job is to manage the things that he has given me for his glory. Until we come to the place where we realize it's not my money, you will never be generous. Think about it, is it not easier to spend other people's money? Come on, (laughs) of course it is. It's not your money, you don't feel any pain, right? Mary Kay and I have two different accounts, checking accounts. One is her account. It's for groceries and shopping and her hairstylist and all that kind of clothes and eating out. My account is for the serious things, the mortgage, the utilities, the car payments, right? You know what I found? Mary Kay has no problem going and getting her car washed because it's coming out of my account. Dropping 25 bucks out of my account, no problem. And likewise, when we go out for dinner, I really don't feel much pain because I know I'm putting it on her account. Now, the reality is it's all God's money. And the reality is though we have two different accounts, they're really shared accounts. And yet I find it easier when I'm spending money on her account. Well, this is the way it is. Until you realize it's not your money, it's not your account, it's God's account. Then you will be free from fear. The second thing that you've got to learn is this. When we give, God takes full responsibility to meet our needs. When we give according to God's purposes, he will move heaven and earth to meet all of our needs, some of our wants, all of our needs, Some of our wants, 2 Corinthians 9, verse eight, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, if this is true, if this is true that God promises to meet my needs, then it is absolutely irrational for me not to give according to God's purposes. Because if I withhold from what God's wanting to do, I'm actually distancing myself from God. And the result of that is insecurity. But when I trust God and respond to his prompting and leading, God promises to meet my needs. Let me ask you this question. If God was involved in your finances... Would you feel more secure or less secure? I wanna share a story with you that up until the last gathering I had never shared publicly. It goes like this. Um, 17 years ago, I received an envelope. Somebody had mailed me a piece of registered mail to the office uh, for me. And so I signed for it. When I opened this letter, there was a, a note that a group of families had come together and wanted to purchase for me and Mary Kay a car. Now, during this time, it was our first stewardship campaign called Faithful to the Call. So we were very much stretched financially. We had three kids in private Christian school. I was driving a very old car. Mary Kay was driving a fairly old Ford Aerostar. Do you remember those cars? Ford Aerostar, right? That's what she was driving. And there was a cashier's check there for $25,000. I was absolutely blown away. And so we went out and actually purchased this car, a Honda Odyssey, 2003 Honda Odyssey. Now, how do you think I felt when I received this gift? My heart was overwhelmed with joy and I was so spurred on to be even more generous. I have been driving this car For 17 years. To this day, I do not know which families gave that gift. What I do know is that almost every time I get in that car, I offer up a prayer of thanksgiving for those families. That car over these 17 years has translated into thousands and thousands of dollars in giving from us. Now, let me share the way this works. And I have a little diagram for you. Um, So if you're going to give... One party feels prompted. Go ahead and bring this slide up if you will. One party is prompted of the Lord to give to another person. The person who is prompted needs to have an attitude of generous giving. So they're going to be an individual who is giving generously. The receiver of the gift has to have a spirit of humility You know, sometimes it's harder to receive than it is to give, right? And so they receive it humbly. When a person gives generously, they feel something. When a person receives humbly, they feel something. What is it that they feel? They feel joy. Joy. Joy is the overflow of grace. And not only do you feel joy, but you feel so motivated by the gift that if you're the giver of the gift, you want to continue to give to others because it brings you joy. And if you're the recipient of the gift, you're now motivated to want to bless others. That is exactly what happens. The reason I'm sharing this today is because this dear ones, is what the world needs. The world needs to see believers who are absolutely filled with joy. The world needs to see believers in the midst of a pandemic who are living radical generosity. Generosity is the love, grace, and goodness of God towards others through my open hands. And to be generous, there are a couple of things that you need to know. I know I'm giving you a lot, but I want you to know these three things in order to be generous. First, you have to know the grace of God. You absolutely have to know that it is the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ that now motivates us to give. It's not a list of do's and don'ts or self-made kind of performance. No, it is the grace of God in our life. He has given us so much. How can I not but give? what he's given to me. The second thing is we need to know that true life is not found in any possession that we might have. It's not found in the size of our bank account or our retirement account or the kind of house or car or whatever we might possess. True life, what Paul says, life indeed is found in a relationship with Jesus. And the third thing is this, in order to consistently give, you have to be able to put A stake in the ground that says God and God alone will meet my needs. He is the one that I am trusting. And I don't know what the future looks like, but I trust him because he's leading me to step into generosity. Now, when those things are in place, when you experience grace... When you experience that God is going to meet your needs and your life is not about things, though we are grateful for all the good things that he's given us, then you step out in generosity. And as you step out, you will experience three things. You will experience freedom. You will experience joy. And you will experience more fruit than you could ever imagine. Freedom because you are not owned by things. Because your life doesn't revolve around consumerism or materialism. It revolves around a person of Jesus. And joy because it is a grace to give, it is a grace to receive and joy is the overflow of grace in our life. And then fruit, when you give, something supernatural happens and it opens up avenues in your life where God can move freely and take new ground. He's a God that wants to bless He blesses us so that we could be a blessing to others. These are the three fruits. So with all of that now, the question is, how? (laughs) I haven't told you how to do it, right? (laughs) And so I, I wanna say just a couple of things here in closing about the how. Now, first of all, some of us have made a royal mess of our finances. We're in major indebtedness, we don't have a savings, an emergency savings, we don't know how to live on a budget. If that's you, I wanna invite you to go to our website, to this link on our website. There's a video there that will give you just some of the very basics. There are resources, things like how to get on a budget, how to put together an emergency, savings fund, how to get out of debt, all of that is available. I strongly urge you to go there. But I wanna say this as strongly as I possibly can because I've been on this journey for a long time. I have found one practice, one practice that if you commit to doing this simple practice, it will bring God into your finances, guaranteed. You bring God into your finances, you've just brought the omniscient, omnipotent, sovereign creator into your meager finances. This one practice will change everything. It is found in Proverbs chapter three, verse nine and 10. And it reads like this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. What God, wisdom from Proverbs is this. God wants us to honor him with our wealth. I know you agree with me on this. That if we honor God, with our finances, God is going to bless us, all right? How do we honor him? The simplest way that I know is the principle of first fruits. What is the first fruits principle? It is simply this. Every time you get paid, every time you receive any form of income, you take that income And you say, you say this to the Lord, Lord, this is all yours. Thank you for providing. This is your money. Lord, how do you want me to use this income? And then you respond by giving first to the Lord, first to the Lord. You are now honoring the Lord with what he has given you. You're bringing him into your finances. You're putting yourself in a position. You say, well, Greg, I've got $10,000 worth of credit card debt. My response is honor the Lord by giving first to him. How much should I give? Nobody can tell you how much to give. Give 20 bucks. Give 50 bucks, Give 500 dollars. I'm not telling you, nobody can tell you, God and God alone will tell you. You do that, and I promise you, God will begin to work. He will begin to provide unusual ways. You'll become more generous. You'll start giving more. You'll see him provide in unexpected ways for you. Generosity. Generosity is the love and grace and goodness of God. It is all of that towards others Through my open hands. I want you to look at your hands again, if you would. And now close your eyes. And just as an act of surrender to the Lord at home, here in the auditorium. Are you willing to release everything that the Lord has given? He owns it it's his are you willing to release it back to him and to trust him to honor him with the first fruits Father you are a God who longs to bless you are a God who wants to prosper us and I pray now that you would do such a work in our hearts that not only would we see that you own it and we steward it, but we would embrace this one simple practice of giving first to you. You are the preeminent one, Lord Jesus. You are the unrivaled one. There's none like you. Reign, Lord Jesus, over our individual finances. Help us to honor by giving first to you wherever you would lead in the name of Jesus Amen